Hi, this is the K. Ray Reads to You podcast, and I am K. Ray. And today I'm reading Chapter 3, Part 2 of The Talking Parcel by Gerald Durrell. Although the unicorn was as small as a fox terrier, it was quite a weight, as Penelope soon discovered. She ran back up the hillside, dodging from bush to bush, moving only when the cockatrice had its head down to smell the ground, for she was not sure how keen its eyesight was. Panting, she reached the top of the slope, and then watched to see if her trick had succeeded. The cockatrice was now nearing the spot where Penelope had picked up the baby unicorn, and she watched it, holding her breath. Suddenly the cockatrice, which had had its beak to the ground, sniffing to and fro, reared up with a startled snarl. Its eyes closed, and it sneezed suddenly and violently. Flames and smoke shot from its nostrils, and burnt a great black patch on the purple grass. It sneezed again and again, uncontrollably, and each time it did so it burnt a great patch of grass, or set fire to a bush. To Penelope's amazement it didn't seem able to stop. It was behaving like someone with hay fever. At last, its eyes watering, it turned and ran off, still sneezing violently, leaving a trail of blackened grass and smouldering bushes behind it. "'Well,' said Penelope, "'I didn't know I smelt that bad. "'Anyway, at least it's gone.' "'Thank you for saving me,' said the baby unicorn in its soft voice. "'It was very kind and very brave of you.' "'Well, I don't know about that,' said Penelope. "'It was successful, which was the main thing. "'But what on earth were you doing being chased by a cockatrice? "'What were you doing out alone? "'Where are your father and mother?' "'The herd's over there,' said the unicorn. "'I slipped away because I wanted to practice my butting.' "'Your what?' asked Penelope. "'Butting,' said the unicorn, nodding his head up and down, so that his horn glittered. "'You know, with my horn. "'We have a great butting contest every year, and this year I'm old enough to enter, "'and being crown prince I've got to win, you see.' "'Crown prince?' asked Penelope. "'Yes,' said the unicorn, "'I'm Septimus, crown prince of the unicorns. "'My mother and father are the king and queen.' "'All the more reason why you shouldn't be running around on your own,' said Penelope severely. "'Think, crown prince of the unicorns, beaten by a cockatrice.' "'I know,' said Septimus contritely, "'but I had to practice my butting, "'and the cork forests are the best place for that, "'because it doesn't hurt your horn so much if you choose a big cork.' "'Well, your father and mother must be worried to death,' said Penelope. "'The sooner we get you back to them, the better. "'Why did the cockatrice chase you?' "'He said he wanted to take me to their castle "'so that the cockatrices would have control over the unicorns,' said Septimus. "'And he caught me once, but I gave him a jolly good butt and got away. "'He didn't dare use his fire because he wanted me alive, you see. "'I'm glad he didn't, because he might have singed my mane and tail, "'and they're rather beautiful, aren't they?' Penelope shivered. "'Yes, very. Well, you'd better come with me to my friends, and we'll see about getting you back to your family.' So they went down the hill. Septimus gambled gaily around Penelope, apparently having quite forgotten his recent narrow escape. Peter and Simon were enchanted to meet a real live unicorn, but horrified at the risk Penelope had taken to save it from the cockatrice.' "'Honestly, I would have called you all, if I could have,' she protested. "'But I had no time. I had to act at once.' "'I hope this idiotic creature is grateful to you,' said Parrot severely. "'He doesn't deserve to be saved, playing truant like that.' 
but Septimus wasn't listening. He'd found a small puddle under some bushes, and was gazing, entranced, at his own reflection. "'They're all the same, these unicorns,' Parrot went on gloomily. "'Vain as vain. Give them a mirror, or, in fact, anything they can see their reflection in, and they carry on as though they're hypnotized.' "'Well, he's only a baby,' said Penelope. "'And he is rather beautiful, you must admit.' "'Oh, he's pretty enough,' Parrot conceded. "'But no brains. They're all like that. "'Well, I suppose we'd better be getting on our way "'and return him to the bosom of his family.' "'So the whole party set off, "'with Septimus prancing to and fro around them. "'Do you think I look better with my horn like this? "'Or like this, Penelope?' he asked. "'If you don't be quiet,' said Parrot irritably, "'I shall borrow Penelope's scissors and cut off your mane and tail.' "'This dire threat had the desired effect. "'Septimus became very subdued. "'As they were making their way through a clearing in the great blue bushes, "'there was a sudden rumbling noise like thunder, "'and the earth shook beneath their feet. "'A host of lavender and white unicorns came crashing through the bushes,' their hooves thrumming on the turf, and came to a snorting halt a few feet away from the party, so that the children found themselves encircled by a hedge of sharp golden horns, all pointing at them menacingly. "'Hey, up!' shouted Parrot. "'Hey, up! No need for all that nonsense. It's only us!' The solid circle of unicorns parted, and through their ranks came a very large unicorn, of a deep and beautiful lavender colour. His mane and tail were pale honey amber, and his twisted horn glittered like a newly minted golden sovereign. It was obvious that this was the king of the unicorns, and obvious also that the slender white unicorn, with the golden mane and tail following him, was the queen. "'Why, Parrot, it's you,' said the king in surprise. "'Of course it's I. Whom did you expect?' asked Parrot. "'We were told that since the cockatrices had taken over, you had fled the country,' said the unicorn. "'What?' said Parrot indignantly. "'Me flee the country? Me?' "'Well, we thought it was unlike you,' said the unicorn. "'But H. H. said you'd disappeared without even leaving a note, and the cockatrices said you had fled.' "'I'll give them fled when I get back,' said Parrot grimly. "'Yes,' said Peter. "'Fled indeed. We'll show them. Don't you worry, Parrot.' "'It'll be the cockatrices that will be doing the fleeing when we've finished with them,' said Simon. "'Penelope saved me from a cockatrice,' said Septimus. He went on to tell his father and mother, with a certain amount of exaggeration, how Penelope had fooled the cockatrice. "'The whole of the unicorn herd is in your debt,' said the king, his eyes flashing. "'From now on every unicorn in Mythologia is your servant.' "'You've only to make a request, and we'll do our best to grant your wish. "'In the meantime, I'll put four of my subjects at your disposal, "'one for each of you to ride, one to carry Parrot and your belongings.' "'I'm most grateful to your Majesty,' said Penelope. "'It's very generous of you. I wonder if I could make a small request.' "'Speak,' said the unicorn. "'If it lies within my power, your wish will be granted.' "'Then will you and your subjects join forces with Parrot, my cousins, and myself, "'in our efforts to overthrow these ill-mannered and dangerous cockatrices?' she asked. "'We unicorns generally keep ourselves to ourselves,' said the king. "'We do not meddle in other people's affairs. 
but as this is your wish, and as a cockatrice had the audacity to try to steal my son, I hereby declare that all the unicorns in Mythologia, including myself, will serve under you until such time as the cockatrices are vanquished. "'Thank you,' said Penelope. "'Thank you very much.' "'That's the stuff,' exclaimed Parrot. "'Together we can defeat and destroy those truly flamboyant, futile cockatrices.' So the children piled their belongings and Parrot's cage onto the broad back of one unicorn and climbed onto the backs of three others. "'Remember,' said the king, "'when you want us, send us a message, and we will come instantly. There are a hundred and fifty sharp horns at your disposal.' "'Thank you, Your Majesty,' said Penelope. "'We'll be in touch as soon as we've worked out a plan of campaign with H.H.' said Parrot. "'Now be a good chap and tell your people not to breathe a word about having seen us, will you? Surprise is half the battle, you know.' "'None of my subjects will say anything,' the king assured him. "'Well, we'll be off then,' said Parrot, climbing onto Penelope's shoulder. "'Sooner we get to the Crystal Caves, the better.' So the little cavalcade of unicorns, carrying Parrot, the children, and their belongings, set off toward the forested hills that lay about half a mile away. "'That was very clever of you to enlist the aid of the unicorns,' Parrot whispered in Penelope's ear. "'But even with their help it's going to be a struggle to defeat the cockatrices. They must be very sure of their position to risk annoying the unicorns by trying to take Septimus.' "'Well, aren't there other creatures in Mythologia whose help we can get?' asked Peter. "'Well, yes,' said Parrot. "'But none of them is a lot of use. "'I mean, the moon-calves, for example. "'Useful creatures, but not cut out for this sort of thing. "'The griffins will probably join us. "'That would be a help. "'The dragons would have been of some help to us "'if Tabitha hadn't behaved so stupidly.' "'Yes, what did Tabitha actually do?' asked Simon. "'You'll find out when we get there,' said Parrot. "'It's just through these trees.' They wound their way through a thicket of cork-trees. Their ahead stretched a high, terracotta red cliff, and they could see the arched entrance to a cave in it. As they came nearer they could see that all the grass around the cave entrance was charred, and the bushes blackened and burnt. "'It's those cockatrices again!' exploded Parrot angrily. "'They've been up here trying to get at H.H. "'Just look how they've burnt the undergrowth.' "'I hope they haven't hurt Mr. Junketberry,' Penelope said, "'remembering with a shiver the way the cockatrice had snarled "'when it was chasing Septimus. "'Shouldn't think so,' said Parrot. "'The crystal caves are a special design. "'If you're outside, you can't get in, "'and if you're inside, you can't get out.' "'Like so many things in Mythologia, this was confusing, "'and the children said so.' "'Well,' said Parrot, "'when we discovered the caves, they were just ordinary caves, "'but H.H. invented a sort of liquid crystal that could be produced like foam, "'and then it would harden. "'He was so proud of it that he filled the caves with it. "'The result is that once you get inside, it's like walking through giant soap bubbles. "'It's transparent, so you can see in any direction, "'but it's jolly difficult to get there, unless you know your way about. "'It's like being in a transparent maze.' H. H. and I are the only ones who really know how to get in and out. They dismounted at the mouth of the huge cave. The cave did, in fact, look as if it were full of huge soap bubbles, transparent and delicate, with a rainbow tinge to them. Now, said Parrot to the unicorns, you chaps had better graze quietly out here until we want you again. 
the unicorns nodded their heads amiably and wandered off into the cork forest. Parrot delved into his cupboard and produced a compass. Follow me, he said. The children picked up their belongings and Parrot's cage and followed him into the crystal caves. Penelope felt it was rather like walking through a transparent cloud. On every side they could see branch tunnels stretching away, it seemed forever, yet each way they turned they were met, as in a maze, by a wall of shimmering crystal. Third right, second left, fifth right, fourth left, Parrot muttered to himself as he trotted along, keeping a sharp eye on his compass. The crystal corridors were lit by pale green light, and Simon asked Parrot where it came from. Glowworms, Parrot explained. H. H. gave them the entire roof, on condition that they lit the corridors. Of course, the main living areas are lit by mushrooms. Mushrooms? asked Peter. Yes, luminous mushrooms. They give a very good light, said Parrot. Now they were deep in the caves, and the crystal bubbles appeared to be getting larger and larger. Presently, through the many layers of transparent crystal ahead of them, they could see a strong white glow. "'Nearly there,' muttered Parrot. "'Nearly there. I bet poor H. H. is at his wit's end about me. We'll soon solve the problem now we're here.' They rounded a corner and came into a huge oval crystal room, lit by bunches of white phosphorescent mushrooms hung upside down from the ceiling. It had two semicircular alcoves leading off it. In the main room there was a long table, a number of high-backed chairs in silver-coloured wood, and several low couches covered with brightly-coloured cushions. In one of the semicircular alcoves was a huge kitchen range, with various pots and pans bubbling on it, and above it hung what looked like hams and sausages and strings of onions. In the next alcove was a laboratory, buns and burners, retorts, test-tubes, pestles and mortars, and innumerable bottles of various coloured herbs and salts. Standing with his back to them, and holding a bow and arrow that, were, that was bigger than he, stood a short, fat figure in black and gold robes, with a gold and black pointed hat on his head. "'Avast!' cried this apparition, shaking the bow and arrow in the most unprofessional way. "'Avast! One more step and I'll put an arrow through your gizzard, you foul and disobedient cockatrices!' "'Oh, dear,' said Parrot. "'He's lost his glasses again.' "'Avast! One step nearer, and I'll shoot to kill,' said H. H., waving his bow about. "'H. H.' shouted Parrot. "'It's me, Parrot!' Hearing Parrot's voice behind him, H. H. wheeled around, and his hat fell off. The children had thought that magicians were all tall and lanky, and grey like herons, but H. H. had a jolly round face, a long white beard to his waist, and long white hair through which the top of his bald head peeped like a pink mushroom. "'Foul cockatrice!' cried H. H., glaring around wildly. "'How dare you pretend to be Parrot? Do you think that I'd be deceived by such an impertinent imitation?' "'Oh, dear,' said Parrot, "'I do wish he'd put his glasses where he could find them, or better still not take them off.' So saying, he flew down the room, and landed on H. H.'s shoulder. "'H. H., it's me, really me, Parrot. I've come back,' said Parrot in H. H.'s ear. "'Parrot, Parrot, is that really you?' asked H. H. in a quavering voice, and he put up a fat, trembling hand to stroke Parrot's plumage. "'Indeed it is,' said Parrot. "'Oh, Parrot, I am pleased you're back,' said H. H. 
"'And I'm glad to be back,' said Parrot. "'Well, now, well, now,' said H. H. at last, "'blowing his nose vigorously and bumping into a chair. "'Where have you been, Parrot? "'I've been looking all over for you. "'I felt sure that those abominable cockatrices had burnt you up.' "'It was those toads,' said Parrot. "'They leapt on us in the night, "'turned me and Dulcibel into a vulgar brown paper parcel, "'and pushed us into the river.' "'The impertinence of it! "'The impertinence of it!' said H. H., "'starting to pace up and down, "'his face growing red with anger. "'He was so agitated that he walked into the crystal wall "'and fell down. "'Peter and Simon helped him to his feet. "'Thank you, thank you, too kind,' murmured H. H. "'Then what happened, Parrot?' "'Well,' said Parrot, "'we were washed up on a beach in the outside world "'and were found by these kind children.' "'What children?' asked H. H., peering around. "'The ones standing next to you,' said Parrot patiently. "'Deary me, are those children?' asked H. H. "'I thought they were chairs. How do you do, children?' He waved a friendly hand to some nearby chairs. "'The sooner I find your glasses for you, the better,' observed Parrot. "'Anyway, if it had not been for the courage and helpfulness of these children, I should not be here.' "'Then I'm deeply in your debt,' said H. H., trying to shake hands with a chair. "'Very deeply in your debt.' "'Now, before we go any further,' said Parrot, "'let me find your glasses. Where did you leave them? Where did you have them last?' "'I'm not altogether sure,' said H. H., helplessly. First, there was this cockatrice business, and I lost the first pair. Then I had Tabitha on my hands, in a most hysterical state, I must say, and I lost the second pair, and I've forgotten where I put the spare pair that I wear when I lose the other two pairs. "'Well, stand still until I come back here,' said Parrot, "'or you'll only hurt yourself.' He flew off down the room and started searching in various places. "'Would you like to sit down, Mr. Junketberry?' asked Penelope, laying her hand on H. H.'s arm. "'There's a couch just behind you.' "'Oh, er, yes, thank you,' said H. H. "'But please call me H. H. Everyone does.' "'Thank you,' said Penelope, helping him to sit down on the couch. "'Are you a girl, child?' inquired H. H., peering up at her. "'Yes,' said Penelope, smiling. "'I'm Penelope, and these are my cousins, Peter and Simon.' "'Howdy-do, howdy-do,' said H. H., bobbing his head in the general direction of Peter and Simon. "'I was thinking that if you're a girl-child, perhaps you could go to soothe Tabitha, you know, as one woman to another.' "'I haven't any experience in soothing dragons,' said Penelope, in alarm. "'I'm not at all sure that I'd be awfully good at it, you know.' "'I'm sure you would,' said H. H., beaming at her. "'You have such a kind voice. How generous of you to offer. I'll take you to her as soon as I get my glasses.' At that moment Parrot swooped back with a pair of glasses in his beak. "'Here,' he said, giving them to H. H. "'They were in a jar of moon-carrot jam. What were they doing there?' "'Ah, yes,' said H. H., pleasedly, slipping them on. "'I remember putting them in there, because it was the most unlikely place to put glasses, and so I was sure to remember where they were.' Parrot sighed the long-suffering sigh of one who had had this sort of problem before. "'My, what nice children you are!' said H. H., beaming at them. "'The boys, so handsome, and the girls, so pretty. My, my, and one of each colour, which is so useful, because then one can tell you apart, which is such a help when one loses one's glasses. Let me see. I must memorise. Penelope, copper-coloured hair. 
Peter is the one with black curls, yes, and Simon must be the one with blonde hair. Yes, yes, I'm sure I shall remember that in a week or two. Never mind about that now, said Parrot. Tell us what's been happening here. Well, said H. H., chuckling, the cockatrices appeared to be running into a little trouble. They got the right spell for the eggs, of course, which is worrying, but now they've got the spell book they've started getting ambitious. But you know how inefficient they always were. Well, they got the spells all muddled up, and before they knew where they were, they turned two sentries into a bunch of moon carrots and a small cork tree that had been struck by lightning. Ah, ha, ha, laughed Parrot, slapping his thigh with his wing. That's the stuff. What happened then? Well, they came up here and tried to force me to go down and work the spells for them, said H. H. indignantly. So I retreated in here, and they were afraid to follow. The thing is, said Parrot, what are we going to do? Well, said H. H., without the herbal and the book of spells, I can't do anything, as you know. But they've got the three books of government down in the dungeons of Castle Cockatrice, so they say, and they're well guarded, it seems. I don't see how we're going to get them out, and without them we can't do anything. Can't you remember any of the spells? said Parrot. No, said H. H. When one gets to my age, one's memory is not so good. The annoying thing is that I remember distinctly that in the great book of spells there is one special spell against cockatrices, but I can't remember what it is. Well, said Parrot, perhaps it'll come back to you. No, said H. H. miserably, I've tried and tried to remember, but I simply can't. Well, said Parrot cheerfully, don't worry, we'll think of something. Now, why don't you run up one of your splendid moon carrot meals? Oh, shall I? What fun, said H. H. But first I'll take Peter here to soothe Tabitha. She'd like a little feminine company. You mean Penelope, said Parrot. That's the one with the blonde hair, isn't it? asked H. H. No, red hair, said Parrot. Yes, yes, of course, said H. H. Well, come along, Penelope, my dear. Go on, said Parrot. Tabitha's harmless. In spite of Parrot's encouragement, Penelope felt very uneasy as she followed H. H. through the crystal maze. I put her in the east wing, panted H. H. First, it's fireproof, and secondly, it's soundproof. Penelope could see the reason for this as they approached the east wing. The amount of noise that was being made by an inconsolable dragon was incredible. Boo hoo, boo hoo, boo hoo! Penelope heard a voice roaring. Boo hoo hoo! Oh, the most stupid and idiotic of dragons that I am! Boo hoo! Oh, careless and unintelligent creature that I am! Boo hoo! H. H. ushered Penelope into a room furnished as a bedroom. Lying on a huge four-poster bed, racked with sobs, lay the dragon. She was much smaller than Penelope had imagined, about the size of a pony. She was a bright sealing wax pink, decorated along her neck and back with a frill of golden and green scales. She had huge china blue eyes, which were awash with tears. Now, now, Tabitha, said H. H., I've brought someone to see you, a girl child called Penelope. How do you do? said Penelope. I don't do, that's my trouble. Boo hoo hoo! roared the dragon, tears running down her cheeks and turning to steam as they were heated by the flame from her nostrils. I'm the undoingest dragon you'd meet in a month of Tuesdays. Boo hoo hoo! Perhaps, suggested Penelope gently, if you tell me about your troubles, it would help. You see, that's what I and my cousins have come here for, to help. <laughs> 
"'That's very kind of you,' gulped Tabitha. "'But I'm alone and forlorn, and nobody can help me, and it's all my fault. "'Boo-hoo-hoo, and nothing can. Boo-hoo. Bee. Boo-hoo. Done. Boo-hoo. About it. Boo-er-hoo.' "'Nevertheless,' said Penelope firmly, "'you'd better tell me just in case. "'At any rate, crying can't help.' "'Tabitha pulled out a great handkerchief from under the pillow "'and blew her nose violently into it. "'It immediately caught fire. "'Penelope and H. H. had to stamp out the flames, "'much to H. H.'s annoyance. "'If I've told her once about using fireproof handkerchiefs, "'I've told her a dozen times,' he said. "'These flame-producing animals are so careless, you've no idea.' "'That's right. Boo-hoo! Be rude to me now that my heart is broken. Boo-hoo! And now that I'm the last of the dragons,' sobbed Tabitha. "'Take it out on me when, boo-hoo, I'm weak and defenceless and the last of my kind.' "'Dear me,' said H. H., "'I never seem to say the right things. Well, I'll leave her with you. If you want anything, ring the bell. Five times for an emergency.' He scuttled off, and Penelope sat down rather gingerly on the bed beside Tabitha. "'Now, Tabitha,' she said in a kind but firm voice, "'all this crying is only upsetting you and not solving your problems. "'If you just control yourself and tell me what it's all about, I'm sure we can help.' "'Well,' said Tabitha, taking deep and shuddering breaths, "'so that the flames flickered out of her nose like little rose petals,' "'Well, every so often, you see, all the dragons vanish except one, "'and he or she is the keeper of the eggs, "'which each dragon lays before vanishing. "'I was chosen to be the keeper of the eggs, "'and I was so proud, because it's a great responsibility "'to feel you have the whole future of the dragons in your care, "'in one basket.' "'It must be a great responsibility,' said Penelope gravely. "'Well, I was on my way up here with the eggs. "'They're always hatched out in the crystal caves.' "'when I met the cockatrices, to whom I never normally speak. "'They're so common and unruly. "'But they told me that there'd been a change of plan, "'and that they were to take the eggs to Castle Cockatrice for hatching. "'And I, foolish creature that I am, gave them the eggs, "'and then, boo-hoo-hoo, -hoo, they ran off with them, "'saying that they were not going to hatch them, "'and that, boo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo, -hoo, there'd be no more dragons. "'Wah, boo-hoo!' "'Cruel beasts,' said Penelope angrily, as Tabitha started to sob violently again. "'Never you mind. My cousins and I intend to go to Castle Cockatrice and recapture the great books of government and your eggs.' "'You do? You will?' asked Tabitha. "'How?' "'Well,' Penelope began, and then stopped. Out of the corner of her eye she'd seen something move in the shadows by the big wardrobe that stood in the corner of the room. "'Tell me,' she said, "'is there anyone else here in the crystal caves with you?' "'Anyone else?' said the dragon, puzzled. "'No, only me and H. H. Why?' Penelope said nothing, but she went to the bell and pressed it five times. Within a few seconds there was a pounding of feet, the doors burst open, and Peter and Simon and H. H. rushed in with Parrot in their wake. "'What's the matter?' cried H. H. "'Yes, what's the trouble?' asked the two boys. "'Close the doors,' said Penelope. They closed the doors and stood looking at her. "'Well,' said Simon. "'We have a spy in our midst,' said Penelope calmly. 
and he's hiding near the cupboard. And that's the end of chapter three of The Talking Parcel. I'll see you next time for chapter four.